How's everybody doing this morning? Good. So you might be noticing I got a new addition to my attire today. Um, it's kind of, we're going to talk about this a little bit in this sermon because we're talking about Paul being imprisoned and in chains. We're going to talk about this. But I wonder if you ever thought about this. Uh, have you ever wondered uh, why Jesus never wore jewelry? Because he broke every chain. Yeah. Amen. We'll get to this later, okay? Um, now, I know you guys, some of you guys hate when I do this, but I'm a football fan, okay? I love football. Um, thank you, five people. Um, you know, today's a big day for football. You know, we got some playoff games going on today. Uh, I saw some Cowboys fans earlier walking in. Um, yeah, I saw like one Packer fan. That was cool. Uh, I asked him, I said, are you going to win today? He said, no, but I'm still wearing this shirt. Um, you know, a big game too. Uh, Rams and the Lions are today. Saw somebody wearing a big Lions jacket, I mean a Rams jacket earlier. Big fan. Uh, real quick, is there any Lions fans in the house? Any Lions fans? It's just a couple. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. I hear you, bro. I, I, yeah, one thing about Lions fans, Lions fans are trustworthy. They're, trust, they're, they're loyal people. Because the Lions have been bad for so long. And, and they have been bad for so long. And if they're willing to say, I'm still a Lions fan, you can trust that person. Okay? So if you know a Lions fan, trust them. Okay? Has nothing to do with my sermon today. Let's get into the Word of God. Um, Philippians 1, verse 12 is where we're going to start today as we read through this line by line. It says this in verse 12. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Just a reminder, this, uh, this book, the book of Philippians, is a letter that Paul is writing while in prison. It's a letter he's writing to the church of Philippi, and it's designed to be read to the church. This isn't a study. This isn't a book. Paul is writing this as a letter that the, the one who reads it would stand in front of the church and read this. And so why this line is important in verse 12 is it says, uh, what I'm going through has served a purpose, because the church of Philippi has great concern for Paul. They love Paul. They, 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 he's like, he, he's so special to them and he's kind of addressing their concerns here. He's saying, I, I am, I'm, I'm struggling, I'm going through it, but there's a purpose to it. That there, there's something, there's a reason why I'm going through this. And, and here's why I love this passage in verse 12. Paul's admitting, I am suffering but there's purpose to it. What we can learn from Paul when we, when we study him, we study his writings, we study his teachings, is just because you face hardship does not mean you are out of the will of God. Does not mean that God has, that you're, this is a punishment from him to you. Oftentimes in faith, we view it this way. If we are being blessed, Christ is happy with me. And if, 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 I'm in a, if I'm in a hard season, Christ is mad at me. See, I, when I learned from Paul is that Paul had a lot of hard moments in his life. It does not mean that he was outside of the will of God. I want you to hear me say this. Discomfort does not always mean disconnect. When you're in a, when you're a season of discomfort, it doesn't always mean that you are disconnected from God. Now, sometimes it can. Sometimes some of you could speak to this maybe when you've had seasons where you've walked away from Christ and you've felt a season of discomfort. But just because you are facing a trial does not mean that God has abandoned you. 
We can learn this from Paul. In fact, when Paul is right, uh, he's saying that the gospel is going out through this. While I'm in prison, the gospel's going out. I mean, the book of Ephesians, the Colossians, uh, they, they're being written at this time. There's amazing things happening in the life of Paul while he is in bondage. And then uh, verse 13 says this. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. It's become known throughout the whole guard that the reason why he's in prison is for Christ. I love this because what Paul is saying here is like, yes, I might be in prison, but the reason I'm in prison isn't because, uh, isn't because of anything I've done, it's because I, it's for Christ. You know, you think back to verse one of Philippians, for I am a slave to who? Christ, Paul is once again saying, yes, I might be in human chains, but ultimately I belong to my Lord. And think of it this way, because if you know scripture, think about Acts 16. If you know this, it's an amazing story what happens with Paul in prison in Acts. It is, he's in prison, and one night the ground begins to shake, and earthquakes begin to happen, and the jail cells fling open. And the prison guard runs in, he sees the jail cells open, and his first thought is, oh my goodness, I'm going to be in so much trouble. He, he thinks about taking his own life in the moment. And Paul says, hold up! I'm still here! I'm still here! Why do I love this? Because once again, Paul is saying, any moment Christ could open these cells, any moment, he could set me free. I am not in bondage to humanity. I'm in bondage to Christ. He has me here for a reason. He has me here for something. Verse, uh, verse uh, 14 says this. And most of the brothers have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment. Are much more bold to speak the word without fear. People have come to Christ have seen Christ move, even in the Acts 16 moment, guards turning their life over to Christ because of Paul's imprisonment, because of his bondage. So here's the, here's the question of the day. Paul is he's in bondage, he's, he's, in, he's in chains, he's struggling, he's hurting. What do people see when they look at his bondage, when they look at his chains? What do people see in your life when they see you in a season of chains? Think about this, because all of us, at some point in life, are going to carry chains. At some point in life, we are going to get caught up in something that feels like a prison. At some point in our life, we are gonna have loss, we are gonna have hardship, we are gonna have brokenness, and we are gonna feel like we are in bondage to it. We will carry chains some point in our life. Some of us are carrying them right now. Where we are going through stuff that feels like it's tied us down. It has us tied up. We are going through a hard time in life. What do people see? What do people see in you when you carry your chains? What do people see in you when you face loss? What do people see in you when you grieve? What do people see in you in times of stress? What do people see in you in times of pain? Do they see the chains or do they see the breaker of chains? Think about this. When they look at Paul, it says, because, because of my chains, people are becoming more confident in Jesus and becoming more bold in sharing the faith because I am carrying chains. 
sometimes if we're honest, church, in our Christian walk, when we find ourselves in a season of chained up life, when we find ourselves carrying something heavy, when people look at us, they don't see Jesus. Because here, hear me on this. It's easy. It's easy to find joy when you're not carrying, when you're not carrying chains. It's easy to walk in peace when you aren't feeling pain. It's easy. It's easy to praise him when the bank account is good. It's easy to, to give him the praise he deserves when the blessings are coming. But what does your life look like when you have these? When people look at you, when you're in a season of what we can learn from Paul, when people look at you, even if I'm in chains, they will see I serve a God who can bring joy to the broken. When I am in chains, they will see a God that has a plan that goes beyond this moment. When, I, when they look at me in my chains, they will see someone who is passionate for the gospel of Jesus Christ no matter what circumstance I'm in. My prayer for the church is that we would not be a church that when we are unchained and blessed in the moment, we would praise him and when we would find ourselves in chains, we'd quiver and hide. When they look at us, do they see the chains or do they see the one who's carrying through the season of chains? When people looked at Paul, they became confident in their faith because while he was chained, he still praised Jesus. While he was chained, he still preached the good news of the kingdom. What do you do when you are in chains? My prayer is that people would look at the heavy chains we wear and see we serve a God that's bigger, amen? Verse 14, sorry. Verse 15 here in Philippians 1. Then he goes on to say that some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. And then verse 16, the latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. Some, in, some indeed preach Christ from envy, envy and rivalry. What Paul is saying here, let's just call it what it is. Paul is acknowledging to the church of Philippi something they already know, that there's people out there preaching the gospel of Jesus who are happy Paul's in jail. What? Why are they happy he's in jail? Why are they happy he's in prison? They are happy because now it's their moment, right? They're preaching out of envy because they had envy for what God had done and how he had, they, he had used Paul in such a miraculous way that they might have not got the glory they thought they deserved. They might not have got the celebration they thought they deserved for all their hard work they've been doing in the name of Jesus. Some people in this moment are preaching the gospel of Jesus from a place of envy from Paul. And I know you hear that and you're like, oh my gosh, these people, how could you do something? How could you corrupt something as perfect as the gospel and then allow your humanity to bleed through like that? The truth is, is we, we could easily slip into this kind of mindset. Anybody ever, don't raise your hand because you know, that might be embarrassing for you, but I just wanna ask you this question. You ever done something good? You ever done something good with bad intentions? You ever done something that was good? Maybe good for your family, something, but you, you've done it with bad intentions? That's, that's what's happening here. They are preaching the gospel, but there's bad intentions. We can easily slip into this kind of mindset. Here's a couple things that might make us fall into this, especially in the church world. 
What about jealousy? Man, jealousy can, can make us do some crazy things. Jealousy, I mean, all of us, all of us have that one person, right? Don't point at them if they're here. But let's be honest, all of us, there's deep down in us, some of us, we have that one person that we just wish sometimes would fail. We just wish sometimes they wouldn't get the best deal on the house. Sometimes they wouldn't get the gift. Sometimes they wouldn't get the moment. Deep down, we wrestle with this jealousy. And what I'm saying, why I'm saying this is because sometimes if we're honest, we will wish ill on people because we wish we had what they had. And if we're honest, sometimes we don't feel like they deserve it. Jealousy could turn us into doing things and doing things out of a place, even in the name of Christ, that could be wrong. What about this? Frustration. When you get frustrated with someone, sometimes, I'll be honest, sometimes we do this. We do things just to prove someone wrong. You ever been in that fight too long? You ever, you ever been in that argument too long but you were too invested to quit? And you're just like, I'm gonna keep going until you know you're wrong. Because you need to know you're wrong. Frustration can cause this. This one's one of my favorites. Failure. Failure can cause us to do things out of a heart of envy or deceit. Failure can cause us to feel embarrassed. You ever failed publicly? Oh, that's the worst. It's the worst. Embarrassment can cause this. I, I think back to a time in, when I played college football. There was a practice we were having, and, and I was lined up, ready to make this block, and, and I, I was... I, thought I had the right thing to do and, and I, I took a step left when I should have went right. The guy goes right by me and just like demolishes the running back. First thought that ran through my head because we have film study every week. We break down every play in practice. First thought that went through my head was like, I hope nobody notices that. <laughs> hope nobody notices that. We get to film study. It's getting close to the, mo the moment where my play's coming up. I think this might've been one of my first prayers um, before I was even a believer, like, God, if you just made that camera glitch, I will follow you for the rest of my life. I just need a blackout in this moment, God. He didn't answer that one. Um, so the play comes, it happens, and the coach just starts tearing into me in front of the whole team. Shane, you're horrible. You're supposed to know better. And I'm just like, I know, coach, I know. You know what I thought of in that moment? I really hope the guy on the next play messes up worse. Right? Like, I, I, I just wanted the attention off of me. I really hope the guy on the next play missed the block worse than I did so the coach will stop yelling at me. We can do this in life. We can wish sometimes, I hope this person makes a mistake so people will stop looking at me as a failure. If it's a sibling, I hope that one day this person will fail in such a way that maybe I'll get celebrated for once. Failure can cause us to act like this. It can cause us to compare our gifts to others that God has given us. Paul here in this moment is acknowledging that these pastors and these, these leaders are spreading the gospel, they're using their gifts, but they're comparing themselves to Paul, causing deceit and envy in them. I mean, A.W. Tozer says this when it comes to gifts given by God. I am humbly grateful 
for their greater gifts and my smaller ones. What a bold statement. I only pray that I may use to thy glory such modest gifts that I possess. I will not compare myself with any, nor try to build myself esteem by noticing where I may excel when another one doesn't. I'm not gonna try to build my own self-esteem. It really comes down to this comparison game that often gets played. And sometimes you can hear messages like this. where we start to talk about don't compare, don't, don't, don't do these things, don't do this things. And some people will say, so Shane, am I just not supposed to try? Am I supposed to have no ambition? Am I supposed to not strive to be great? Here's my thing. I think there's a difference between ambition and selfish ambition. I think you should have ambition and strive and work as hard as you can to bring Christ as much glory as you can. But if you are working and striving so you get the glory and you get celebrated, I think you're wrong. Ambition and selfish ambition are different things. I want to become the best disciple I can. I want to become the most impactful in the world I can so Christ can be magnified, not me. Amen? Let's keep, let's keep moving here. Verse 17. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition like we just talked about. Not sincerely, but thinking to affect me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whatever, in uh, pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. Paul paints the visual here that there's some who are preaching the gospel out of envy, out of, out of frustration with Paul. There's some that are preaching the gospel out of pure hearts. But what Paul is really saying here, when he says, I can rejoice in both of these platforms, even the ones who are preaching the gospel with a heart of envy, I can rejoice because the gospel is being preached. Now Paul, if you read his letters, you will really understand, Paul rejoices in this moment because they had to have been true gospels. See, because Paul, when you realize what Paul, Paul's attitude was this. If you preach the truth the true gospel, I don't care what your motives are. If your motives are bad, God will deal with you. But at least the gospel is preached. But if you preach the false gospel, I don't care how good your motives are, you are dangerous and must be stopped preaching your false gospel. Good motives don't excuse your false teachings. Good motives don't excuse false teachings. Sometimes we can have bad motives and truth can come out of it. Christ is glorified through that. But if we can have the best intentions and corrupt the gospel, we, we, could, we can maneuver and try to change with the best intentions. That's wrong. Paul is saying he can rejoice because the gospel of Jesus is spreading even if people are doing it to make him pay. I know that's hard for some of you to understand. Because for some of you, when you hear this, you're like, no, that's not right. Paul should be, Paul should be frustrated, Paul should be angry. It's, here's why, Paul didn't care if his way happened or another person's way happened. Paul's main priority was the gospel of Jesus. That was his main priority. Everything else became second to that. Verse 19 says this. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, 
this will turn out for my deliverance. For I know through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus, this will turn out for my deliverance. I mean, you can see here in this verse 19, there's a connection between the church of Philippi's prayers and Paul's deliverance. He, he, he's saying that I know that with you praying and with Jesus working, I will be delivered. I love this passage so much because of that word, no. For I, what? No. Confidence in Paul here of his deliverance and, and confidence in who Jesus is. Sometimes if I'm honest, we would read this passage, for I wonder if your prayers and Jesus will deliver me. For I question, for I ponder, for I doubt. Paul is leading us in such a way here with this passage, saying that we are called to live our life with a faith, a faith that is for I know Christ will deliver me. For I know Christ will show up. This kind of faith that is so strong and it has such deep roots to it that even in the midst of any trial, in the midst of imprisonment, the midst of a suffering, I know Christ will deliver me. Let me, let me just say this real quick to you, church. If I'm honest, I, I think sometimes when we find ourselves in moments like this, we can pray things like this. God, I hope, I hope you show up. I hope you work. Here's one I think none of us want to admit, but I think it's true in some of our lives. When we go and we make these requests, here's how we pray. God, I don't know if you're real or not. God, I don't know. I doubt. See, if we want a faith like Paul, it comes from getting to a place where we approach Jesus. We approach him and we live for him in such a way that is not buried down with doubt and questions. It's a kind of faith that is so certain that I can be in a prison and know that I will be delivered. Know that he's working. Know that he will save me. And then, let me speak on this faith. I want this, this is kind of interesting. This kind of faith, I don't think means you can just like do whatever you want. Like I don't think this faith just means like you can just act like, like stupidly. Sorry. Like I, I see some people sometimes who like they're, they're following, like they, they kind of, they have this moment of like, well, I'm, I'm, I believe in Jesus. He's gonna protect me. So I'm just gonna do all these silly things. Like I grew up in, uh, I came to Christ through what I call like the, the thrill seeker movement. Like, you know, that time where everybody was like jumping off rocks and planes and all that stuff. I had a group of friends who would go up and they would do these super low parachute jumps. And they would say like, I believe Jesus is good. Let's make it more dangerous. I, I just don't see, when I read scripture, I don't see that. He's like, yes, you have faith in me. Now do something stupid. 
No, we still need to use discernment and judgment, right? But when we find ourselves in trial, we can hold on to that faith. Verse 21 says this, and many of you know this. Oh, sorry, verse 20 is where we're at. Verse 20. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. This is a very bold statement from Paul to the church of Philippi, saying that if I die, Christ will be magnified. If I live, he'll be magnified through my life. No matter what he decides to do here, he will be magnified. He will be worshiped. Guys, we have to understand Paul is setting a great example of us, the church in 2024, who if we're honest, we have some, like, some of the easiest conditions to be a believer in. We, and, and I think it's kind of hurt us in a way because when times are bad, we don't say, Christ, be magnified. We say, Christ, where are you? But when times are good, Christ, be magnified. I, I, I love this about Paul because he's like, okay, if I live, yes, Christ. If I die, yes, Christ. What a bold faith for us to follow. Verse 21 speaks to this even more. You know this verse. Many of you have heard this before, verse before. For to me, to live is what? Christ. And to die is what? Again, Paul is saying here that death is not a defeat for him. It's the beginning. It's a proclamation of the church of Philippi. He's telling them, I might die, but it will be gained for me because I will be with Jesus in heaven. To be with Christ was gain here, was, a, was, was gain for him in such a way that, as we're gonna read here in a little bit, he battles with this wanting to be with Christ but still being here on earth. If I live, Christ, it's for Christ. If I die, I will be with him in heaven. That is gain for me. I think this really speaks to this idea of faith versus fear. Faith versus fear here. Paul, like we've been talking about, had such a faith that he, there was no question where he was going when he died. He knew he was gonna be with Jesus in heaven. And so he lived his life with the absence of fear of this occurrence of this occurrence. I think some of us, we have to evaluate, like, do, am I scared of dying? Am I scared of this moment? What does that mean in me? What do I need to do to get to a place like Paul where I can view death authentically, not just the Christian lingo we say, but like authentically in my heart and in my soul really crave eternity? I think we are so good at saying things. Like, yes, I'm gonna be with him for eternity, but it hasn't like embedded in us. It hasn't become a part of us that it changes the way we live. And verse 22 and 24, as he continues here, it says, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between these two. He's talking about these two worlds here. My desire is to depart, to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. 
He's saying to the church of Philippi, I desire to be with Christ more than you can imagine, but I need to stay in flesh. I need to stay in the suffering for you. What Paul's really saying in this verse is I crave eternity. I crave, I, I, I long to be with Christ forever, but while I'm here, I will bear fruit. While I'm here, I will serve him. While I'm here, I will keep bringing people to him. I'm gonna say something as straightforward, as bold as I can say it, because I think some of you need to hear this. Stop wasting the time you have. Stop wasting it. Stop just existing and going from moment to moment. Take advantage of every moment you have to bear fruit in the name of Jesus. I don't care how old you are, how young you are, start today capturing every moment for the name of Jesus Christ. Start today. Waking up every day and saying, I'm still here, I'm bearing fruit for Jesus today. I'm still here, I'm gonna love my neighbor today. I'm still here, I'm gonna praise my Savior today. I'm still here, I'm going to worship him today. And then Paul closes with these last two verses in 25 and 26. Convinced of this, convinced once again, I know that I will remain and continue with you all. For your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. The hope that he holds on to in this prison, the hope he gives the church of Philippi while he is in prison, by his chains, by his bondage, they're able to find hope because they see it in him. Uh, we're gonna close with a song here. I want us to sing this song. I know a lot of you want to get to lunch, and I, I, I lock the doors, so don't even worry. <laughs> I want to challenge you. This last song, we've talked a lot today about like really, really living in such a way that it goes just beyond words, that it goes just beyond singing a catchy tune, but to get into a place of authentically believing. I want us to sing this song as a declaration. And the reason why we chose this song is I feel like it fits this passage so well. I'm gonna read you this. This is what I want us to declare today boldly and proudly. If I live, I'm living for you. If I die, I'm dying for you. Whatever comes, Lord, let it be true. I'm following you. I'm following you. If I live, it's all for you, Christ. And whatever this world throws at me, it will still be for you. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We praise you. Thank you for today. Pray that you'd give us this kind of faith, that we would proclaim, proclaim this truth, that our life would not be circumstantial, that in the good times we would praise you and in the bad times we would praise you. Help us get there, God. 
Help us get to that truth. In Jesus' name, amen.